We have been over the last uh, few weeks in this Christmas season in a series of sermons just entitled Hope is Born, and we've been examining in the first part of Luke the story of Jesus' birth, the Gospel of Luke's recording of Jesus' birth, of how he came uh, to Mary and the shepherds and the angels and the barn and all of that. We've been looking at that together, the unfolding of Jesus. But one of the things that we should think about this morning is simply this. When we think about the birth of a child, those of us who have had children or been around family members that have children, we understand that there is a lot of buildup to the birth of a child. There is the picking out of a name and the decorating of a nursery and the showers that take place. There is the doctor visits and the ultrasounds. There are lots of things that go to the buildup of the birth of the baby. And Christmas is the same way. We begin celebrating the Advent season and we start lighting candles and we work our way to Christmas Day, the birth of Jesus. But anyone who's ever had children or been around children realizes that the birth ain't nothing compared to bringing the baby home. The birth is totally a, a wonderful celebration. But bringing that child home, counting its toes and fingers, staring into its eyes, looking at its face, trying to figure out which grandparent it looks like the most. All of that is involved in the baby. You bring the baby home and you begin to care for it and you begin to feed it and you wonder in how in the world are you not going to break it along the way. You tend to it and take care of it. I remember bringing my first son home and my wife had given him a, a little sink bath and, and she handed him to me and said, said put this onesie on him and, and before you do, rub this lotion on him. But we were poor newlyweds, so we bought lotion at Sam's with a coupon. So it was like seven gallons of lotion. I get down over Kate. I'm, I'm staring at his beautiful face that looks exactly like his mother. Praise the Lord. I squirt lotion on my hands, but my hands get slippery. And the lotion bottle slips out of my hand and glances off his head. You wondered what's wrong with him all these years. And I saw it in his face. You know when a baby builds up to cry? And then he breaks loose with this ear-piercing gl glass started to rattle. The ceiling started to fall in. I, that's an exaggeration, by the way. And I thought to myself, I've broke him. I've only had him a few weeks and I've, and I've broke him. And then I realized some 13 years later, boy, they're real hard to break. You can beat them all over the yard, you know. <laughs> Babies. They're exciting. They're precious. They're something. One of the things, brothers and sisters, that I think often we forget about because the gospel writers don't give us much when it comes to the childhood of Jesus. We don't have a lot of stories about him going to youth group at the temple. We don't have a lot of stories about him interacting at school. We don't have many stories about the chores he had to do at home. We don't read about him playing hide-and-go-seek with his brothers, though I think playing hide-and-go-seek with the God who knows everything would be a disadvantage. We don't have all of the details. We have very little about the baby, the child that is Jesus. In fact, the gospel writers are so enamored with the man Jesus, the work of Jesus, the death of Jesus, rightly so, that we don't read a lot along the way. But oftentimes we can forget that Jesus came as a baby, fully man, fully God, and he grew in stature and wisdom. He grew like every other child grows along the way. They marked his measurements on the doorpost like every other child that's ever been born. Why? Because he's fully human. 
He's experiencing what we experience. And one of the places in the Bible where we see a snippet, a view of baby Jesus, Jesus with Mary and Joseph, is in Luke chapter 2. Right after the Christmas story in verse 21, we pick up what happens about eight days after Jesus is born. And then in verse 23, we pick up what happens about a month after Jesus is born. So we have in verse 21, all the way through about verse 35, we have the first month of Jesus' life. Baby Jesus, the first month he's been home. And in these verses, I want to show you this morning, as we've been looking at hope is born in Christ, I want to show you this morning that after Jesus is born, what unfolds in these few verses in baby Jesus' life reminds us why our hope is in Jesus. In these few verses, we're going to see exactly who this baby will grow up to become, and more importantly, what he will do. We will see in these verses concerning baby Jesus how he has come to rescue us. Look with me at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21, and we'll read through verse 35 together. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and his name was right, and, he is, and in this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Verse 35. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to help us this morning. Help us as we think about Jesus, the baby. Help us as we think about Jesus after Christmas, as we think about what, what he came for and, and what his purpose was and what he will do. And Lord, show us through this text, through these words, why it's so important for us to, to never leave Jesus at the cradle. To never just think of Christmas as this coming of a baby and walk away, but to see that, that this Jesus came for a purpose and a reason. He came in order to die, in order to save us, in order to rescue us. Father, all of us in this room, all of us who are watching online, we must ourselves, we must ourselves, Father, reconcile to this Jesus. We must come to Jesus. We must contemplate Jesus. We must, in ourselves, make a decision. 
or whether we will follow Jesus. Lord God, I pray now over the next few moments as we think about this passage that you would help us see how all of our hope is in Jesus. Father, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this unfolding of Jesus' first days on earth, we have a, a prophecy from Simeon. We have a blessing from Simeon. We have a ritual act of his mother and father following the Jewish law. There's a, a lot unfolding. We have the first month of Jesus. We have the photo album, if you will, of what took place in the first month. Now, just by way of context, we believe at this point that they're probably still in Bethlehem. That certainly they didn't travel back to Nazareth one week after Jesus was born. And, and probably even longer, they stayed in Bethlehem. This makes Jerusalem very close. So they can go up to the temple in Jerusalem to do the purification symbol. We also probably believe that based on the context of the passage, we'll see in a moment, this is before the wise men have arrived. That they're still in uh, Bethlehem and they're still in the afterbirth moments of the baby, adjusting to life. And in this passage, we find exactly why Jesus has come, what his purpose is in being on this earth. And in it, I want you to see that we find hope in Jesus. Why do we place all of our hope in Jesus? Well, number one, simply this, we find our hope in Christ because he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. Now, let me show you what I mean. Look with me at verse 21. The Bible says in verse 21, at the end of eight days, he was circumcised and he was called Jesus, the name given and the, the name given by the angels and was conceived when he was conceived in the womb. Now, Mary and Joseph are good Jewish followers of God. They are fearful of God. They honor God. They worship God. We know this because the Lord found Mary and said, we found favor in you. They are honorable men and women of the Bible. They follow the Old Testament. They follow the laws of Moses. They do what is commanded of them. And so what is commanded according to the covenant of Abraham is circumcision on the eighth day. Eight days after a male child was born, you went into a circumcision ceremony. This ceremony was so important to the Jewish nation that they were even allowed to do it on the Sabbath. The Sabbath being the day when they did hardly anything at all. But they were allowed to do this on the Sabbath. Circumcision was a sign to the nation of Israel that they were in the Abraham covenant that God had promised to rescue them through the Savior that would come from Abraham. But also, it was to remind them that they were in, in sin and in need of a Savior. The male part being altered was to signal to them that the seed in which they passed down through pregnancy was to remind them it is a sinful seed. It is a broken seed. That every child that is born from the loins of man is sinful. So circumcision was a way in which you identified with the promise of Abraham, but also with the need that Abraham had. We're sinners. We need saving. And so it is this idea in the law that they followed. But notice verse 22. Not only did they follow the law in order to have him circumcised, they followed the law in the worship of purification. When a newborn Jewish mom would give birth for one month, she would stay home. She would not go out and about. She might tend to the things in her home, but she was not allowed out and about. She was not allowed into worship. This was a, a medical reason and a ceremonial reason. The medical reason was it just makes sense for the mom to rest at home. This is not in the days and age of our medical technology where we can heal much faster. Also, it was the idea that blood had come out of her body. Therefore, she was unpure because sin carries our seed, carries our blood. So she would stay home. 
So now, after 40 days, they would go to the temple for a purification ritual, a washing away of the sin and preparing themselves for worship. Look with me at verse 22. Let me show you what I mean. And the time came when their purification, according to the law of Moses, that they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now this comes out of Exodus, where the death angel moved over the nation of Egypt and every firstborn was taken from the world in order that God would free his people. And as a promise of God, the people of Israel would always dedicate their firstborn back to the Lord. And so here's what's happening. There were three laws in the Old Testament that Mary had to follow. The first one was she had to be purified for just giving birth. Didn't matter the child's sex, didn't matter the number which the child had come in the order of birth. She had to be purified. Secondly, there would be an offering given because of the child. Anytime you had a child, you would offer to the Lord an offering of thanksgiving. But then third, and most especially with Jesus, when you have your first child, your very first male child, it was considered the promise of Abraham, the opening of the womb, and you gave a special ceremony for that. So why do I tell you all this? Listen, I don't miss this. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be circumcised and they go to the temple to do the purification rituals simply to remind us they were obeying the law. They were following what the Lord had said to them to do since Abraham, since Moses. They were following the laws of the Lord found in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They were doing what they were supposed to do. Now the question is, why does Luke record this for us? Why do I need to know that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day? Why do I need to know that Mary went to the temple and performed the ritual purification that every Jewish woman who had ever given a child birth would have done? Why is it special for us to know of all the things they could have recorded of Jesus' newborn life and teenage years that we don't have, why did they pick these? Well, I believe, brothers and sisters, there are two reasons, and I want you to see them quickly in this first part. And that's simply this. The first reason is to remind us that Jesus is a real person. That Jesus is a real person. He's really in human form. He really did come. Notice in the text what it says. Jesus was circumcised. He was a real boy with real male anatomy. He was physically a child. And they did what you do with a male child in Israel in the first century. You have them circumcised. He's really one of us. But isn't it interesting that circumcision was the sign of the promise to Abraham that God was going to save us, and circumcision was the sign that we were passing down sin from our lineage to the next one. Now, Jesus does not need Abraham's covenant to save him, and Jesus has no sin in him. Why in the world would he be circumcised? So that he can say to you and me, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm one of you. I'm identifying with your struggle. I'm entering into your world. I'm coming to where you are so that you might be rescued. Jesus is circumcised to remind us. He came to be one of us, to walk with us, to save us, to rescue us. But, but notice what else it says in the Bible there in verse 22. It says, and it came time for the purification, and they went up. And notice the, what uh, uh, Mary gave. Notice what Mary gave as her offering. Look at what it says in verse 24. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. Now, if you were to go over to Leviticus chapter 12, here's what you'll read. 
that the firstborn child required a lamb. In fact, Mary and Joseph were supposed to bring a lamb to the temple. But if you read in Leviticus chapter 12, here's what you'll read. If you're poor, you can bring two birds. Now, isn't it interesting that Luke makes sure to tell us exactly what Mary brought to the temple? You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Because it reminds us that Jesus was born to two poor parents. Jesus was born in a borrowed barn in a calf trough that wasn't his. Jesus was born into two teenagers who will scrape the rest of their life to find ends meet. He was born to two common folk who had no standing in society. He was born to two folks who I'm sure understood the value of pinching pities. He was born in the low of the low of the low. Why? Because he's reminding us he's one of us. He's come to be with us. He's come to be for us. But I want to say one more thing about this idea of him fulfilling the law, and that's simply this. Brothers and sisters, the reason why Jesus was circumcised and the reason why his mom and dad went through the purification ceremony is so that we can hear in the text of the New Testament that Jesus came under the law. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 that in the fullness of time he came in the form of man being born under the law in order to fulfill the law for us. Now what do I mean by this law? Listen now, don't miss this. God is holy. He's perfect. He is right in all of his decisions, in all of his ways, in all of his wisdom. There is no shadow of turning in God. Everything about God, every action of God, every word from God's mouth is right, it's perfect, it's holy. He is the standard bearer. He is the beacon of righteousness. He is the one who bankrolls, if you will, morality. All of it finds their place in God. And God says in Leviticus and in the New Testament, he says these words, be holy as I am holy. Now I want to do a little experiment with you this morning. Would you do me a favor and raise your hand if you've never sinned, never sinned. Boy, I'm glad y'all are in church today. Amen. You're in the right place, right? Now raise your hand if you have sinned. You have sinned. This is why I can tell who's asleep in the service, right? That's right. We're getting a little Pentecostal here for a moment. Just wave it at me, all right? The idea here is this. God is holy. God is right. God is righteous. And God demands holiness and right and righteousness. So brothers and sisters, by the raising of our hands, we declare one huge giant problem. We are not right. We are not holy. We are not righteous. And in fact, God will only allow holiness and righteousness in His presence. He will only allow those who are perfect into heaven. He will only allow those who can bask in His glory. Why would He let sinners into heaven and mess up heaven? And so He declares for us, we must keep the law. Can I tell you something? If you can find a person who keeps all the law perfectly, they don't need Jesus. Can I give you another answer? You won't find that person. The law didn't come to save us. The law came to show us that we need saving. The law came to show us that we are separated from God. And so here's what we're finding in this text. The Bible says that Jesus was circumcised as a part of the law. He was purified as a part of the law. And then we read further into the New Testament that he followed the law perfectly. Now, How is this application good for you and for me? Because, brothers and sisters, if you and I expect to set one foot into heaven, we must set one foot into heaven with a perfect law record, and we don't have it. 
But the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 that Jesus became the curse for us, that sin was laid on him. Though he knew no sin himself, sin was given to him. Though he broke no laws himself, all of my rebellion, all of my twisting of the law, all of my running from the law, all of the sin that I have committed was laid on his shoulders and all of his perfection, all of his righteousness, all of his goodness, all of his law keeping was laid on my shoulders. So we find that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly for you and for me. In fact, Romans chapter 8 describes this very clearly. In Romans 8 verses 3 and 4, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. Our flesh was too sinful. We could not keep the law. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He laid all of our sin on Jesus' body. Now notice what it says. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice what the text says. It says, listen, you're supposed to keep the law perfectly in order to get into heaven. If you've ever broken the law, you can't get into heaven. God is holy. God is perfect. He demands perfection. If you've ever lied, if you've ever cheated, if you've ever stolen, you've ever disobeyed your mother, you've had a prideful thought, a lustful thought, you've done anything that is different from the holiness of God, then you've broken the law. You've rebelled against the lawgiver, and you will not stand in his presence. But then God says, but I will send my son to take on the form of man, and he will keep the law perfectly. He will do it all. He will carry it out to the very end. He will never break the law. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? I mean, if you're Jesus' brother and sister, you can never blame it on him. You can never say, I didn't steal the cookies, Jesus did, because he didn't break the law. If Mary said, Jesus, pick up your room, he would never say, but mom, five more minutes. He obeyed perfectly all of the law. All of the law. And so the Bible tells us in this text that he came to fulfill the law. He came to keep the law. He came to do what we could not do in the law. Can I ask you something? Have you ever found yourself in a relationship with God or thinking about God and just feel ashamed? You ever find yourself just feeling like you've been too far away, you've committed too awful a sin? You've disappointed God in such a way that, that He's somehow angry at you or weeping over you. You feel so broken and so far away that, that God could never save you. He could never reach you. He could never forgive you. Can I make sure you understand this clearly? God is not saving you because you did good. God is not saving you because you kept the law. God is not saving you because you are righteous and you are holy. God is saving you and me because Jesus is righteous and Jesus is holy and Jesus kept the law and God was never ashamed of Jesus. That's why God is saving you. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, you know what we read? There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to do what we could not do. How foolish are we when we think somehow we will get into heaven because we're a good person, because we did some good acts, because we attended church or walked down an aisle or was baptized in water. How foolish are we to think that somehow we did something good to get into heaven when the scripture tells us Jesus came under the law and bore our sins for us.
we get in because he fulfilled the law. Let's look now at the second place we find hope in Jesus. Not only do we find our hope in Christ because he fulfilled the law, we find our hope in Christ because he freed us from death. Look with me at what happens in the next part of the text. Starting in verse 25, we read these words. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now let's stop there for just a moment. There is no other place in Scripture where we'll find this man Simeon. We won't understand anything about him. We don't know if he's a priest. We don't know if he's just a church attender. We don't know if he's just a faithful. We don't know very much about Simeon. But here's what we do know that I think is noteworthy. So let's take just an aside for a moment and let's get some inspiration from Simeon. Let's find out in these few verses what we do here about him. First, we find out from Simeon that he was righteous and devout. Righteous means right living before the Lord and before others. Devout means he was attentive to his spiritual life. He was attentive to his religious life. He watered the grass of his soul, if you will. He was righteous and devout. He was a good, upstanding man in front of his peers, and he did what God had asked him to do. But notice what else we learn about Simeon. Not only was he righteous and devout, but he was expectant and obedient. The Bible says here in these verses that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. If you go back up to verse 25, it says he was righteous, devout, and waiting. He was expecting, he was waiting, and he was obedient. What does this mean? It means simply this. God had made a promise to him, and he believed it. God had made a promise to him, and he built his life on it. God had said, Simeon, you will not die, you will not pass away, you will not go from this earth until your face lands on the face of the Savior. And as long as you have this promise, you can wait with expectations, you can follow with obedience, and you can know this. Can I just give you this aside sermon for just a moment? If you're looking for a person to emulate, there's not a lot of words about Simeon, but there are four here that I think are really good. One, he was righteous. That means he did what was right in the eyes of God and the people around him. He was devout. That means he paid attention to his religious spiritual life. He made the things of God a priority in his life. He was devout in his devotion to the Lord. He was also obedient. God had said, you won't die until you see this uh, child, and he faithfully waited for the child. In fact, in a few moments, we'll read that he led by the Spirit to the temple to see the child. He was obedient to the word of the Lord. And then finally, he trusted God. He waited, expecting God, excuse me, to move. I don't know about you, but in 2021, here's some things that I think we should write down as priorities. Lord, I want to be righteous. I want to live right before you and others. Lord, I want to be devout. I want to pay attention to my spiritual life. I want to read your word and pray, attend church. I want to gather with others. I want to make it a priority to water the grass of my soul. Lord, I want to be obedient. When you say something from your word, when you tell me something to do, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. And then, Lord, I want to live my life with expectation, with waiting. I want to wake up each day going, this might be the day I see the promise of the Lord fulfilled. And I want to be right and devoted, ready for those. Listen to me now. I think the Lord used Simeon because he had set himself up to be prime real estate for the Holy Spirit. He had set himself up to be ready. One author put it this way. He said, you know what? We don't tell God what to do, but we put our boat in the water and we put out our sails and we wait for the wind to blow. He did everything he could to wait for the wind to blow. Brothers and sisters, what a great idea for us in 20 and 21. Now, let's get back to the text. That was a free sermon. You're welcome, by the way. So here's the idea. We find our hope in Christ who frees us from death. Now, what does this obedient servant of God do? Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed him and said, now think about this. The Bible tells us that that Mary and Joseph are headed to the temple this day. It's the day of her purification. It's 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And this stranger named Simeon gets a calling from the Holy Spirit to get to the temple. Now, he may have been in the outer courts. He may have been in the janitor's closet. He may have been fishing down at the lake. We don't really know where he was. But the Bible says here that he was led by the Spirit to go to the temple. Now, think about that for a moment. If he had for just one moment said, no, Lord, not today, he would have missed him. If he would have just for one moment said, Lord, I feel you calling me, but the fish are biting. I can't let go right now. Just for one moment, if he had been disobedient, he might have missed the Lord Jesus in the temple. But the Bible says he was obedient. Can you think about this for a moment? He's praying, he's thinking, he's wanting to see the Lord, and all of a sudden the Spirit quickens his heart. You better get to the temple. You better get to the temple. I kind of have this image. We don't know how old Simeon is, although in a few moments he'll say he's ready to die, so we assume he's old. Uh, But the idea is that he's lived a long life. The idea is is that he starts to feel the calling of the Lord. I kind of think about it this way in my imagination. He takes one step towards the temple and the tug gets a little harder. He takes another and another and another, and if we're not careful, there's some old man running down the streets of Jerusalem trying to get to the temple, yelling, get out of my way. i got to get there. I've got to get there. The Spirit of the Lord told me to run to church. Boy, I wish some of y'all woke up that way on Sunday morning. Come on, preacher, you're meddling now. He ran to the temple. He ran to church. And what did he do? He found the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine how many times a baby walked into the temple and he jumped up to look? Can you imagine how many infants went by his house and he thought, is that the one? And then finally the Lord gave him his promise. And he ran to the temple and he grabs up the baby. Now notice what he says in the text. Notice with me verse 29. Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for the glory to your people, Israel, and his father and his mother marveled at what he had said. I notice in this text the idea of what Simeon says about the Lord. It's good for us. I want you to hear it this morning. He says in this text that we are freed from death because of this Lord Jesus. Look at what he writes. He says in verse 29, Lord, now. Now, our English language and the Greek don't necessarily match up here because the way the Greek sentence is formed, the word now is at the beginning of the sentence. We wouldn't write it that way in our proper English, but we would, we would feel the emotion of Simeon if we heard it this way. He picks up this baby Jesus, and, and you can just hear him with exultation, a blessing to the Lord, maybe even looking to the heavens and saying, Now, now I have seen the Savior. Now your promise is fulfilled. Now the Messiah has come. Now, and notice what he says there. Now I can go in peace. Now, now listen, remember what his prophecy or promise was earlier that Luke told us. He wouldn't die till he saw the Lord. So literally, you know what Simeon is saying? Now, Lord, I can die in peace. Now, Lord, I can go from this earth. Now, Lord, I'm not afraid of death anymore. Why? Because I have seen your salvation. Brothers and sisters, we find in this text in the baby Jesus these wonderful promises to us. And that's simply this. We have hope in Jesus because once we come to Jesus, once we stare at Jesus, once we declare Jesus as the salvation that God has sent, we can therefore say with Simeon, now I can die in peace. 
Now I'm not afraid of death anymore. Now I'm not scared of the grave. Why? Because He has come. Hebrews chapter 2, the writer tells us about this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, this is what Jesus is described as. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, He Himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who are through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There is no more common fear among mankind than death. All over the world, people are grappling with what will happen when I die. And the answer to death is heard in Simeon's word, this is your salvation, and now I can die in peace. Now I can depart in peace. Listen to what the Bible says here. It says that, that Jesus is the answer to death. Simeon is blessing the Lord and declaring that Jesus is the answer to death. Look at verse 29. Lord, now, now, right now, you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. There are two things there we must see clearly. One. You and I will depart this world in peace when we face death, when we realize that salvation is not in our hands. When salvation is not of us. Brothers and sisters, can I just ask you plainly, if you were to take up all the faculties you have, measure up all your resources, you might have the highest IQ in the room, you might have the highest paid job, the biggest bank accounts in the room, you might have the best church attendance in the room, you might be the biggest tither in the room, you might be the one who has the biggest family and they're doing the most normal things, none of your grandkids have gotten in trouble with the law, you've got the best resume. Do you really think that's going to get you from death into eternal life? Do you really think somehow all of the mustering you can gather up will cross you over into eternity? Notice what Simeon says, Lord, the only reason I'm getting out of here, the only reason I'm going in peace is because you, God, have provided my salvation. Because you, God, have delivered me from death. Because you, God, bring peace to my soul in the midst of death. Oh, Jesus does this. Notice with me also that sentence there in verse 35. He says, you, I've seen your salvation with my Eyes. I love the way Simeon says that. You want to know why? He doesn't say, I've thought about your salvation. You know what, Lord? I've grappled with the philosophy of salvation and I've come to enlightenment. I've really contemplated deeply the idea of salvation and, and I've done some mental ascent. I've done some gymnastics in my brain and, and I've worked it out. You know what Simeon says? Simeon says salvation is not a thought. It's not a philosophy. It's not a behavior. It's a person. Salvation is Jesus. It's Jesus. He says, I have seen your salvation. This is why the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy, for I know whom I believe in and am persuaded that he is able. It is Jesus that saves us. Jesus, not morality, not work, not effort, not morals, not church, not religion. It is Jesus. Jesus that saves us. And when Jesus saves us, we can stare at death. You can light my candle and know I'm not afraid of it. You can know that I will cross over and be there. D.L. Moody, the famed Baptist preacher, said death might be the king of terrors, but Jesus is the king of kings. We don't lose to death because of Jesus. We have mercy because of Jesus. We have victory because of Jesus. And Simeon says, holding this baby, isn't it amazing? That Simeon, resting in his arms is Jesus. And resting in Jesus is Simeon's peace. Resting in the arms of Simeon is this baby Jesus, but resting in the arms of Jesus is Simeon's eternal salvation. 
What a beautiful thought. Matthew Henry, the Reformed writer, wrote it this way. He said, he who has his head in heaven need not fear putting his feet into the grave. Jesus brings us peace. We have hope in Jesus because he's fulfilled the law, because he's freed us from death. But the question is, how will he free us from death? And that leads us to the final thought this morning. And that's simply this. We have freedom in, or we have hope in Jesus because he faced rejection. We face rejection. How in the world will Jesus give us this freedom from death? How will we be rescued from this death? What will take place? Well, look with me as we finish out the text this morning. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for his sign that is opposed, and verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, what happens here is Simeon goes from blessing the Lord for Jesus to prophesying to Mary about Jesus. He now turns his direction from talking to the Lord, thanking him for Jesus, to Mary and prophesying to her about her son. And this is the prophecy that he gives her. He says, Mary, your son will cause many to rise and fall in Israel. Your son will be a light to the Gentiles and, a, and the glory of Jerusalem or Israel, but it will cause many to rise and fall. And in fact, he says in there in verse 34, he says, and opposed will be the sign. Now, what is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about, brothers and sisters. He says, Mary... Your son is going to flip the world upside down. Mary, your son is going to cause many to rise, meaning those that are humble and broken and poor in spirit and come to Jesus as a Savior. He will bind up their broken hearts and he will lift them and he will raise them and they will rejoice with him forever. But Mary, your son is also going to bring down those who are against him. He's going to bring down the high and the haughty and the religious and those that have pushed Jesus out. He's going to bring down those who reject him. And the sign will be, notice verse 34 there, and the sign will be they opposed him. Brothers and sisters, you want to know why I have hope in Jesus when I die? Because Jesus was rejected at his death. I have hope in Jesus that I'll be accepted in my death and to the Lord uh, Father in heaven because at Jesus' death, he was rejected by the Father in heaven. You see, brothers and sisters, the way in which we will be redeemed into the glory of the kingdom is because Jesus himself was opposed, was pushed, was broken, was rejected. The religious leaders rejected him. The political leaders rejected him. Israel turned their heart away from him. The Greeks chased after the gods that they made up. We, in our own sin, reject the Lord Jesus. And he went to the cross and died and oh brothers and sisters it's not just that we rejected him it's not just that israel rejected him it's not just that rome rejected him it's that on the very cross when my sins were laid on his shoulders he screamed from the cross eli eli lama sabachthani my god my god why have you forsaken me brothers and sisters the reason why i don't fear death is because in his death god forsook him God punished him. God laid his wrath on him. And because Jesus was rejected, you and I can be accepted. Because Jesus was cursed with my sin, I receive his righteousness. Because Jesus took on the brokenness of one who rebelled against the law, I take on the righteousness of the one who kept the law. Because of Jesus, I have hope. He has done what I could not 
do. The cross says He loves us. Our sin says we hate Him. But by faith and repentance, we are brought into a relationship with Him. We are gathered up under His wonderful name. My hope is in Jesus because He fulfilled the law I could not feel. He freed me from the death that I could not have victory over. And He was rejected so that I might be accepted. I have hope in Jesus. I want to close by drawing your attention to verse 33. I believe verse 33 is the only response we can have to this Jesus. Listen to what happens. After Simeon had said his blessing about the Lord to the Father, he turns to Mary and Joseph to speak, and and he begins to prophesy to them. In fact, there in verse 35, he tells Mary that you're going to hurt over this baby, that your soul will be pierced over this baby, that thoughts will be divided over this baby. But Notice in verse 33 what happens. And his father, Joseph, and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I find that interesting because Mary and Joseph have had a pretty whirlwind pregnancy and birth so far. How much better can it get? I mean, they had angels appear. They had a miraculous conception. They had a virgin birth. Shepherds show up out of nowhere. Angels sing. Star lights up the sky. I mean, everything to this point has been pretty marvelous. And yet Mary and Joseph, hearing this old man grab this baby, this stranger they do not know, and prophesy about Jesus being the one who will rescue us from death, they hear this old man, and again, they're marveled. I don't think they're marveled because they heard something new. I think they're marveled because they're beginning to grasp just how big God's kingdom is. Just how glorious effect Jesus will have. Because he can make shepherds show up out of nowhere, and angels split the sky, and now random people run into the temple, and when they touch him, they start prophesying. They marvel at Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I believe this morning that our response to Jesus, because he has delivered us from death, he has freed us from the law, he faced rejection in order that we might be accepted, I think our only response should be, we marvel at him. We marvel at Him. So we can gather up ourselves with, with uh, uh, the, the writer of the song, Bless, and say these kind words, these wonderful words. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. We can sing about the Jesus who saved us. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We thank You that You are marvelous and wonderful in our eyes. You are beautiful to us, that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You fulfilled the law perfectly. You freed us from the fear of death. Even today as we celebrate those who have gone on to be with you, we're not afraid. We don't have to be afraid because of Jesus. You faced rejection so that we might be accepted. You were opposed so that we might be welcomed. Oh God, Help us to marvel at you. Brothers and sisters, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. You you may be here this morning and you're just visiting with us. I want to ask you, I want to be clear with you. I want to be clear with all of you who are here. Those of you that are watching online, I, I want to be clear with you. The Bible says it is appointed for each man to die once and stand before the Lord. Unless the Lord returns, you will die. Death is perfect. One out of one dies. Everybody will die. Your days are numbered. You don't know when, you don't know where, you don't know how, but you can be certain you will die. Can I ask you a question? 
Are you afraid? Are you scared of what's on the other side? I'm not asking you if you're afraid how you will die. None of us want to face suffering in our bodies. I'm asking you, do you know about the other side? Do you have confidence to say with Simeon, now I can die in peace? Brother and sister, the only answer to that question is Jesus. If you've not come to Jesus as your Savior, not your grandmother's Savior, not your mom's Savior, not your dad's Savior, not your, not your church member's Savior, if you've not come to Jesus and declared Him as your only hope, confessing your sin and turning to Him, then brothers and sisters, you have no answer for death. For Christ is the only one that lets us die in peace. You might be here this morning and you say, well, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm, I've done enough good things. God's going to be kind to me. He's going to be nice to me. Brothers and sisters, to get into heaven, you must fulfill the law perfectly. And by the raising of your hands, I know you have not. Only Jesus has done that. Only He became the curse for us. Only He's the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You must put all your hope in Jesus. I pray this morning, here and now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, that you will come to Christ. You will finish this year by crying out to Jesus for mercy. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus and you just feel ashamed. You feel broken. You feel dirty in your sin. Can I just remind you, you're not getting into heaven because you're good. You're not getting into the presence of God because somehow you're a marvelous believer. You're getting in because Jesus has fulfilled the law. You're not too far. God's not away from you. God loves you. Confess your sin. Turn back to your Father. Pray for the joy of your salvation to return. I'm always reminded of the author who once said, when people die, we will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's true, but it's kind of backwards. Because ultimately, we will find ourselves limping across the finish line as broken, fallen, worn out sinners. And God will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. But it's not because we were good or we were well done. It's because Jesus was good and He did it well. It's in Jesus that we find our hope. Father, we pray as we respond to You now, You will lead us in a way that honors You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You come if the Lord leads this morning. Stand with us as we sing.